to another episode of Overlooked Giants. I am Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with trombonist, scholar, activist, a third-generation musician, educator, and founder of the Oakland Public Conservatory of Music, Angela Wellman. I was first introduced to Angela through a program that she started called Black Girls Play, which is a program designed for young Black girls to learn the different aspects within the arts industry through mentorship. I had the opportunity to work with the girls in teaching them about live sound, and we had a blast. And dare I say, the girls learned a lot from me, along with some other amazing mentors. Angela has that cool auntie vibe that draws you in to sit down, get comfortable with a glass of lemonade, and learn something. I appreciate and admire her passion to teach and educate all people, but more so her drive to provide opportunities for children of the Black community. None of this even begins to scratch the surface on her musicianship. Yes, she plays the trombone along with about 10 or more other instruments. She is the gift that keeps on giving, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to hear her story and to share it with you. Okay, I'm Angela Wellman, Angela Monique Wellman. I'm from Kansas City. I'm the daughter of Betty Jean and... Betty Jean Baker Wellman and Lionel Russell Wellman and the granddaughter of Neosha Florentine Baker and, and um, uh, what was granddaddy's name? William Russell Sr. William Russell Baker Sr. And um, yeah, I uh, was actually born in Ohio, but at three years old, we moved back to Kansas City, which is where my mother grew up. Um, So I'm from the I always say I'm I'm well I'm I'm definitely Midwest born and bred and so proud of that. Um and and I also say I'm from Kansas City cuz that's where I got my myself that's where I developed my identity particularly as a as a as a music person as a musician. Um uh, I come from a, a background of of a family of genera- two, three generations of musicians. My grandfather was a pianist. My grandmother sang, although she uh, chose to raise nine children uh, instead of, you know, do that. But she was definitely a singer. But she, And my mother was a vocalist and my father was a pianist. Um, and then I just, all my, many of my grandparents, uh, my uncles and aunts were um, either, I had an aunt that was a composer and, you know, uncle that was who I really got my inspiration from, founded a school in Kansas City, the Charlie, Charlie Parker Academy of the Arts, Charlie Parker Memorial Foundation. Um, so I come from a, a what was considered somewhat of a musical dynasty, I guess, in a way in Kansas City, Baker family, up until probably my uncle passed away, was known for, um, you know, our work in music education as and, and as well as um, just really activism in making sure that the culture, the, the music culture um, and heritage of Kansas City was preserved. Um, that was the work of my uncle. Um, and he did it on a very deep level. And I'm that's where I get where, you know, my chops for that. Um, 
I have a, a degree. I got a couple of degrees from conservatories. I have an undergraduate degree from the Kansas City, Missouri, like the Conservatory of Music at University of Wisconsin, uh, University of Wisconsin, University of Missouri, uh, Missouri and Kansas City, UMKC. And then I have a master's degree um, in music education from the Eastman School of Music. Um, I've been playing, I started playing professionally when I was 18, playing in my uncle's big band in Kansas City, um, Eddie Baker's New Breed uh, uh, Orchestra. Uh, my mother sang with that band, so I just you know it's just kind of like always in there with them. Um, and then I just kept doing that. That's That was the path that I chose for myself, although um, I've always been a teacher a music educator. And I always had like this, uh, I think I got caught up in that statement, um, those who can do and those who can't teach. And I was like, I'm not about to be part, you know, block, you know, young woman. I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I can. And so I'm going to, but I can also teach. So, yes. and not following that, that's my deepest passion has been probably one of the greatest, you know, the, one of the things that caused me the most anxiety and angst all of my life until I finally just gave into it. <laughs> you know, like they say in a 12 step, I let go and let God, you know, cause I was like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, even though I, I, music has taken me, you know, to a couple of different continents, you know, all kinds of places. But, as a performer, you know, and, and as I look at it now, it's like that's that was my preparation for the work that I'm meant to do. I needed to go out there in the world so I can know what it was about, you know, in order to put that out there and share it in ways for people who really want to do that. I could kind of help out in that way. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I've lived in, in, a, in a bilingual. I lived in uh, in Venezuela when I was about 26. I took a gig for a year <laughs> and worked in this band, um, Dori Salasi La Propia. She, she claimed that it was the first all-women band in Latin America. It's not true. There was one back in the 40s in Cuba, but... Whatever. So I lived down there for a year, learned to speak Spanish. It also changed. It really gave me a sense of the diaspora and black music. And, you know, just that's where I really started to get it. That was my first time out of the Midwest, even though I've been studying with this Cuban who had come over, you know, one of the quote unquote Marielitos. Um, and so he landed in Kansas City and he was our teacher. And he taught a bunch of us. So that's where I really first started, like, studying Afro-Cuban percussion and understanding those those roots. And then when I went to Venezuela and I went to Bartovento, which is uh, the, on the coast of Venezuela, that's where the, the port was, where they brought the enslaved Africans from Ghana, actually. Mm. Um, and then I just, that's where I started really, like, almost begin, yeah, really beginning to dedicate my life to a pursuit of understanding music um, of the diaspora and its impact on, you know, the United States and just the Western hemisphere, therefore, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, you have this question, how long have I been involved in the arts, the arts? 
say, you know, before till since I was in my mama's belly, you know, and I, you know, I think for some reason I chose those two people as my parents. Uh, yeah, I, that's, and that's a, that's a, that's something I'm still at 63 years old, still working out. So, but <laughs> I'm grateful for my life, <laughs> you know, for my life, you know, so, um, yeah. And so talk to me about, um, coming up in, especially in the Midwest and uh, discovering that you were not like what traditionally, uh, uh, I guess, straight wet black women should be like, when did you discover yourself as a queer person? Well, I want to say, first of all, I, I, I hear what you're saying about queer. So I'm just going to, re- I'm just going to receive that. You know, because I never thought of myself as a queer person, you know, but mm-hmm. I understand the terminology where we are right now in the 21st century. So because when I was growing up, you were a, a bull dagger, you were a tomboy, you were a butch, you were you were a lazy, you know, you were all these things, you know? And, you know I, I never really um, ascribed, you know, just like like embraced any of those, even though I was called a lesbian. But before I was a lesbian, I was a tomboy. <laughs> um, and when I first started really, I think, thinking about it, I was I was in high school. Um, I went to an all-girls college prep school. And, well, you know, it was just, there was so many of us there that, you know, some of us who knew and some were coming out and some were, and so that's where I started to like really experience, you know, like feelings like that. I remember mm-hmm. though, when I was like seven years old, there was a little girl that I was, that used to come over with her mother and visit my mother. And I just, I just had this kind of special feeling for her. I didn't know it was, it was different than anything that I felt for anybody. And I didn't know what it was. I just know that I just really liked her, you mm-hmm. know, more so than anybody. It was just, as I think about it now, I, I, I still feel that, this, that feeling. And yeah, that was kind of like the seed of that thing, I think. Um, and yeah, so you know, growing, and then after high school, you know, I I think I just, I never, I mean, I think if I were, I've thought about this a lot, and if I were born, like, mm, 20 years later, maybe even 10 years later, I was born in 1956, if I had been born in 66, I would probably um, be embraced kind of like a non-binary identity. Mm. No, um, I, I probably would be in that place of like whatever, because I think that that's kind of where I was when I was a teenager. Um, I struggled with how I, how I was supposed to present myself. And I think my mother always kind of knew. That's why she 
she she forced me to do certain things like wear the, wear a, a a a wig. Honestly, I call it a Tina Turner wig. It was she she made me wear this long kind of auburn colored wig with bangs. You know, she told me it made my skin look so pretty, and she made me ask to wear that damn thing now to high school. <laughs> it was just like. Oh man, and I, you know, I, 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 I was a good Catholic girl. I honored my mother and father, and I did what she told me to do, you know. And I believed her, and I, I wanted, I think, as I think about it, so much her to like like me for mm-hmm. who I was that I did what she wanted me to do to look pretty and cute for her. But I was never that. I was never that girl. I remember when she would dress me up when I was like six set five, six in these little cinder, they call them Cinderella dresses, Cinderella. That was a brand. And that was a brand. And they were like, they had little petticoats under them. They had, you know, the, the lace and the little puffy and the lace here. And, you know, the patent leather shoes with the socks with the fold down and the lace around them. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, wow. That, yeah, yeah. So I mean <laughs> that and I and that's what I and I used to feel like I was like so confined and I used to feel like if I think about it now it probably felt like I was kind of in drag because mm. it wasn't me you know and, and I just couldn't wait to get home to take all that shit off so I could <laughs> put on my pedal pushers and my red ball kids my kids or you know had a little kids tennis shoes and 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 ride up and down the street you know, bare chested, you know, (laughs) that's what I did. And then when I turned seven, she called me in the house and she was like, okay, you got to start wearing a shirt outside now. Like what are you talking about? Why? Well, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're a little girl and you know, you got to start. We got to get you ready. And in a few years, you're going to get a training bra. And I'm like, wait a minute. You just like, you rock my world with that shit. And yeah. I, that was the beginning of me feeling oppressed inside of this, this, this construct of gender. You know, mm-hmm. when I was seven years old, I was at, from that point on, I was just pissed off. <laughs> For, yeah. Decades, yeah, decades. I used to walk around and I'd have these frown on my face. And I remember this one day, this man came. He saw me frowning. You know, I was just. I used to do this a lot. My, and, and, and I was like seven, eight, seven, eight years old. He was like, "Whoa, it can't be that bad." You know, you're too young to be. You know. <laughs> and I uh, looked at him. I said, "Yes, it is." And that's you know, I was like, "You don't know me," you know. Right. Like that's kind of how I became. You know, God, I I hadn't even really put this together in this way until right now. Appreciate <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. When I graduated from high school, by that time, I you know what happened was my mother and father were like my mother was a codependent to this alcoholic. And so, you know, I left out of my mama's house when I was 18, mainly just getting away from it. But I got pulled into this other really messed up relationship with this woman who was 18 years older than me. And it was not good. It was, and I got, I'm not going to go into that, but I was stuck in that for like, till I turned 21. Mm. But I was stuck in that 
it was really not good for me at all. And um, it was not good. It was a be- it was just not good. It, it, it was not good. <laughs> wow. So, but, you know, and so during that time, people in my family were talking about me and my uncle called me one day and he was like, you know, you, you know, you ain't living right. The same mm-hmm. uncle that I, that I, so like as my mentor, you ain't living right. You know, and one day they went out to our house and they went up, he's, he was ready to go and like kill this woman and just do all kind of shit. Cause my mother was just all messed up behind it. You yeah. Know? So yeah, but I wore my blue jeans and earth shoes and, <laughs> and working stocks and, you know, my 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 plaid, flannel plaid shirts, and I was a straight up lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I'm a lesbian, I'm a lesbian, and that's I can't just be me. Right. I don't even feel like I ever really came out. Mm. I didn't really like have this moment where I had to tell my mother. I just like was just me and I let everybody figure it out. I'm not trying to you know, yeah. it's not like I was totally free because I have my own internalized homophobia and I still do, you know, but yeah. In terms of that um, internalized homophobia, do you think a lot of that came from your family environment or from religion? Like what what do you think stemmed a lot of that uh, internal homophobia? Oh, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was all of the things you said. I mean, I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I mean, you know, it's, it's society, you know, Mm -hmm. my mother was uh, like, she believed in the kiss of the spider woman or whatever they call that, you know, that movie about that woman, she's a lesbian and she, you know, it was just all, you know, all of those things like a lesbian is going to come and get your daughter and turn her out and make her all crazy and just all of that stuff. And, you know, just society, and 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 I and I came up in a very uh, rigid kind of Catholic upbringing. I don't know how rigid it was. I think a lot of it they were phony, they were faking. But you know, whatever. <laughs> in Catholicism, you can sin, and then you can go to you can go to confession and just you know have your sins absolved by the white man behind the curtain and shit. You know, so you know, but. <laughs> That's I digress. That's a sidebar. But I, I think it was society. It was um, yeah, just it was not anywhere in. It was nothing like it is now. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So just just all of the everything, the imagery. You know, you never saw reflections of that. At least in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing that was was really allowed. It seemed like it was always allowed. Like, and this is part of what I think is patriarchy, and and misogyny was like you know queens, you know, mm-hmm. you know men who were effeminate. Right. And that was there was some way that that seems like it has just always been accepted. And I call that the patriarchy. It's like a man can do whatever the fuck he wants to. Right. <laughs> Basically, you know, when did you coming up, when did you come to the realization that you were 
a black woman? Like, when did that become apparent to you in terms of a difference between uh, the way that some of the other women who were not of color might have been treated or uh, might have been perceived? Well, now, are you, you're, are you, which one of those is operative, black or woman? Well, <laughs> that's a good one. That it, yeah. Uh, particularly just being, uh, well, I, I would say black, like in terms of uh, just acknowledging that you weren't, I don't know if, you know, you mentioned that you had gone to a Catholic school and it was a, it was a all girl school. Um, so when, you know, I mean, I would imagine there were other girls of color there and then there were also white girls there or. Okay. So, you know, growing up in the, the, you know, I, I, like I said, I was three years old. That was 1959 when we moved. <clears throat> Honestly, that's when I have my earliest memories. I don't have any memory of living in Ohio, but I do remember being three and four years old, four or five and be living in Kansas City. Um, and, you know, as far as being black goes, um, you know, Kansas City, I mean, the state of Missouri, you know, that it was it was the South. It was part of those 13 states that, you know, Brown v. Board of Education was was um, um, ruled in. And so it was a slave state. And so um it was real. You real. It was real clear who was black and and who wasn't. And you know, if a kid grew up, if a black kid grew up in Kansas City during that time and didn't know they was black, some they were special. <laughs> Something that, you know what I mean? Because because yeah. there were you you knew that you were black. It was clear. Black folks lived here. White people lived over there. Uh, white people would come to the door and call my mother Neosha and she'd be like, oh, hell no. Uh -uh. <laughs> you, you, uh -uh. you don't call me Neosha. She slammed the door on insurance. She, you know, she wouldn't take that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I knew that I was black as soon, as soon as I had any kind of intelligence, any type of discriminating kind of like mentality. As far as being a black woman, um, you know, that became really apparent to me when I went to that all girls school, there were 525 in my graduating class, there was like a hundred and something girls, mm -hmm. eight, 120, some 25 girls, 18 of which were black. So that, and that was the largest class of black girls in the history of the school and probably they haven't had a number like that since okay. uh, we gave them so much hell um, <laughs> see our big brothers and sisters were like part of the the hippie generation so they were mm -hmm. just like five and six years older than us so you know and 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 we we also grew up during the time of like the black panthers and say black power, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, that's, they, 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 they reminded us on, on so, in so many different ways that we were different from the other girls, you know, mm -hmm. or black girls, you know, 
That's that's the first time I ever experienced somebody telling us that we couldn't congregate together on this beautiful campus because the white girls were threatened in, by our presence in, in groups. So they asked us to, you know, try to make friends and and and, you know, you know, you know, go and, you know, hang out, you know, just try not to hang together so much. Right. Little white fragility, you know, they weren't having them kind of conversations with that, you know, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. So with with that, um, incorporating your experience as a uh, black woman who, and at this point you can say is non-binary um, and not necessarily following what the uh, status quo is in terms of what it is to be a, especially to be a, a black woman and a musician, right? And and bringing all of this to the forefront. Um, do you feel like it at all affected your ability to perform as a musician? Do you feel like it hindered you in any way? And that's such a loaded question. <laughs> See, because, oh, wow. So when I when I started playing trombone in Kansas City, well, let me put it this way. I started to play drums. I played drums for like 10 years from the time I was 11 until I, you know, I was into my early 20s, till like I was about 21, 22 years old. And I was playing trombone also. And you know, I remember playing drums and I remember sitting down at that drum set and I remember looking at a picture of myself and, you know, I was just so, I was just such a little butch, you know, and I remember liking it and then immediately being repulsed by it. Mm. And that was that internalized thing again, right? Um... And I, I remember that there was some sense of this kind of thing that I think my mother had for me. She didn't like seeing me like that. Like when I say like that, it's like my tomboyness really showed up when I sat down behind the drums. Mm-hmm. But I could play them damn drums. <laughs> and uh, you know, we had a group and you know, at the Charlie Park Academy, we played all around town. You know, just like the kids do at the at the conservatory. You know, we do that kind of stuff. And so, and I was, and 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 all of us were just little, you know, crazy musicians, gifted little kid, black kids. We weren't well. You know, we were teenagers. Um, and I just, I remember always. When only time I would just like really feel like I wasn't even aware of my body is when I was with that that particular group of kids. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of anything. We were just in the music. And our teacher, Sonny Kenner, who was one of like the, the blues guitar, you know, um, uh, you know um, heroes of Kansas City, um, he just loved us so much. Um, he never made me feel anything but great, mm-hmm. you know? what I was doing and, and and so I never really felt any kind of way about 
anything in that band. Matter of fact, the bass player was a, was a girl and the saxophonist was a girl. And, and the only person in the band was a boy was the pianist. And then, then there was a, what's his name? Sonny, our, our, our leader. Mm-hmm. So for some purposes, this was a, a mostly all girl band. I didn't even think about it. And you know what? We didn't even like talk about it like that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like an all girl band. It wasn't, ooh, look at that band with all them girls. It was no conversation about that at all. We were just these kids from the Charlie Parker Foundation who could play our asses off. That's who we were. And then, and then what happened was I, I started playing professionally drums. Me and the bass player, we started playing with this, this gospel group in Kansas City called the McClellan Acre Singers. Mm. So they, there was a, was a family. So they, they had a group of men and the men had an all women group behind them. And then they had a group, see this, this heteronormativity on some level is kind of interesting as I think about it now, because it wasn't heteronormative, but yet it was male and female little thing. And then, so, so we played for the men and then the women, they had an all male group behind them. And this was this kind of thing. And I remember this is when I stopped playing drums really like kind of like out there in the world professionally. Cause I just, it just, it just ruined me. Um, I, 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 uh, this was my like first real professional gig playing drums mm-hmm. and we played in churches and at revivals and you know, th- we did that circuit and I couldn't mm-hmm. wear pants. <laughs> so I had to wear this little, you know, that was, those were the days of little short mini skirts and shit. And, you know, so I had to wear these, this, these, these skirts with stockings. Mm. Now you sit down on the throne and you're sitting in front of the drum, the snare and your legs are open and you're having all these things run through your head about your mama telling you girls don't sit like that, but you don't have to sit like that. And then I get up from the drum set and invariably I would have like, you know, holes and runs in my stockings and it was just, you know, it was a nightmare. You know, it just, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna play trombone, forget this, you know. And I remember when I was, um, I actually was in, in, in college, in junior college, and I was in pre-med. I was trying to be a doctor. I was not in any way wanting to be a professional musician. I not I wanted to be child psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I wanted to help children. Um and children who had, you know, emotional problems, because I had emotional problems growing up, a lot of anxiety and shit. But anyway, um, they had me on some pills, crazy. And so um the man came into the music appreciation class and he was like, we need people for this. They called him at that time stage band. For the stage mm-hmm. band, it was a jazz band, big band. So I, who plays? And I just automatically raised my hand and I didn't say drums. Now I have my own drum set, a beautiful five piece set of Ludwig silver chrome drums. And I had, you know, I had all the hardware, like the case, I had everything. I was set. He said, oh, what do you play? I said, trombone. I don't have a trombone. You hear me? <laughs> I, what did I say that? And then I realized I said it because 
I I would have more of a chance of getting in the band because there were four trombones and only one drummer. And I know they weren't going to pick a, a, a girl drummer, yeah. even though I could play and I could read. I could do all of that. I, right. I had lessons with Max Roach when he would come to the Charlie Parker Academy when I was like 12, 13. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It was like... It's not like I was like all all of that, but I could play the drums and I could read and you know I could swing, you know, and I could play the you know back Google take to go back. It's still in me, you know. I be looking over there and be, hey, we got this going. You know, yes, still playing bass too. Anyway, so you know, all throughout my career. When I started playing trombone, then I was going down to the Mutual Musicians Foundation, which was the Black Musicians Local, Local 626, before the unions merged. You know, it used to be a white union and a black union. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. Toba, the Toba Circuit. They called the theater of something and Booker's something. Really, they called it Tough on Black Asses. Anyway. <laughs> That's what they called it. Anyway, you know, and so I started playing trombone down there. And and so I, I got a trombone and started playing in the band. And, you know, that was cool. Wasn't nobody tripping again. And then when I would go down to the foundation and play, and I got in this band down there, CETA, Comprehensive Employment Training Act, had at one point, you know, money that was, I don't know if you know about that. I'm not going to go into it, but because it's, it's just so many things. You're talking to somebody who's done so many things. <laughs> and answer your question, which is down there, they would say to me at the foundation, now these are the cats who were like played with Benny Moten and Count Basie and some of these cats went to school with Charlie Parker and you know these are the cats in Kansas City who were my mentors and teachers and they they would say stuff like damn (laughs) they would say this kind of fucked up sexist stuff you know although it was there was something about it that was like you know approval like you play like a dude Oh, yeah. You know, you yeah. don't sound like no girl. You play like a dude. Yeah, Angie. And so it was It was like that, you know? Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. And I wasn't thinking about it. I play like a dude. Okay. I'm, I, I'm, I'm being, I, I got four older brothers. I know a good looking woman when I see one, because I watch them, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm sitting up in here playing music with all of y'all and ain't no women in here but me and y'all the ones teaching me how to swing and how to dig and how to do all of that so I'm going to play like the people I'm around and the people that's the way I think about I didn't think about all that then I was just like I'm one of the cats yeah yeah I I was part of one of the one of the cats you know but in a lot of ways it was kind of like they were gender blind or whatever, you know, we say colorblind, they were, you know, gender blind, right? right. And, and I, I think that in the long run that that wasn't good for me, right? Cause it kind of like, I was already like, kind of like, you know, I had my boyfriends. This is why I never, 
you know, because I, you know, so I said, get out, you know. <laughs> I, I, oh, shit. You know, I had boyfriends, girlfriends. I was in love with this one. The first time I ever fell in love with, 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 this, with this saxophonist who was in the band with us. Mm. My God, boy. He got killed. So, you know, mm. just kind of, yeah, anyway. I have, I see a question you have here where you, able to be have public relationships yeah so were you able to be meaning like so it, i have a couple of uh, myself included where um especially as, as singers and vocalists it was kind of always this thing of you know you date somebody in the band right and if you if it's found out that you're queer, then you got to deal with them saying things like, oh, you just need some good dick or, oh, you just, you know, uh, you just, I can change your mind and all that kind of stuff. And so you, you know, oftentimes you just didn't tell anybody about your personal life. Did you encounter things like that? And then, you know, were you able to really talk about your partner, whoever that was at the time? Well, there was no talking about the, the girlfriend. Um, like I said, I was in this really fucked up relationship and this woman happened to be white mm-hmm. and, and she was like, she was out there and she would do shit that would just embarrass me when I would be like, cause now the inner city orchestra, which was the band I'm telling you, these were all black men. Mm-hmm. And then here I come and they had their white women and here I come with mine. You know, it was, <laughs> 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 you know, so I never really like was like holding hands and just like, you know, you know, public displays and all of that. But, you know, but everybody knew. And so, you know, I I certainly dealt with the stuff around, you know, people thinking I was, it was a phase and, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there was, yeah, you know, it was when I moved away from Kansas City at at twenty, whatever. When I went down to Venezuela, I was in again in a in an environment. I lived in an apartment with fourteen women. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Wild up in there, America, where you had to have to be, you know, on the down low. Oh, please. <laughs> So, you know, it was, uh, woo, yes, wow. Two of them women found their way to, to each other and they're living in Atlanta, Georgia now together. Mm. Wow. Wow. I, I wanted to address this piece around, um, you, you have a question in here about, is my artistry influenced by my sexuality? Correct. And... You know, Asati, I'm, I'm, I think there are things that I have not done because I still have not like sat down inside of a place of comfort with my sexuality. Mm. My mm. mother, my mother was a a, a, a singer, and um, um, she was beautiful. Like my sister once put up a a picture on Facebook. 
I'm going to send it to you, of my mother and next to it, a young, a picture of a young Holly Berry. Hmm. And, 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 and Lori was like, Holly could be my, my, my sister. Cause they, <laughs> they look so much alike. Yeah. My mother was just beautiful. She had this beautiful, long, shiny hair, curly. Cause you know, my grandfather, you know, anyway, um, you know, the native American really show, showed up in my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was very like, you know, a girl, you know, feminine and all of that. And I was her first daughter after four boys. When I was born, uh, she, she, she didn't even believe I was, the doctor came in and he was like, well, Miss Wellman, you have a beautiful, you know, six pounds, some ounce baby girl. She looked at him and said, you know any more good jokes? And turned <laughs> She she really was done. <laughs> she just brought in a, a fifth boy. She didn't want one boy. Mm. And so when they left out of the room, she took my diaper off. She just didn't believe it. Wow. So, so she raised me as her little angel. I was gonna be her little like, you know, it was it was just crazy. And so I I I, I but I, I couldn't be like her. I was more like my father, you know. Mm body fight you know if they'd had like this beautiful relationship kind of thing he'd have been my dude right there because when he would come back from from the military because he was always stationed overseas he would grab me and we go down to the NCAA college basketball tournaments downtown and we would do stuff like that he would do stuff like he would do if he had his son back in those days so I was a father's little boy you know, um, as I think about it now, that's the first time I ever even spoke those words. But mm. all of that impacted, I think, my growing into um, my my sexuality as a musician and, and allowing that to actually be, you know, um, a beautiful thing, which is one thing I really appreciate now about about where where we are now with all of this gender stuff that, you know, there are so many, you know, uh, female saxophonists who get up on the stage and they're just like the epitome of woman, girl, mm-hmm. you know, they're showing all the stuff and I'd be like, ooh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then they play and I'm like, wow. You know, it's not, it don't matter. You can show up however you want, but I didn't grow up like that. And I, I never would have imagined standing up on a trombo- on a stage playing a trombone looking like Tia Fuller does when she plays a saxophone. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, yeah. I best cleavage all that and playing the shit out the trombone. All I can hear is girls don't do that. Girls don't do that. Put mm-hmm. your legs together so uh, you know you know that that the, all of that stuff just never really ever 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 went away and so um you know I think that my artistry as far as being influenced by my sexuality was um um negatively impacted not so much by my sexuality as mm-hmm. well as the society's shit about 
my anti-sexuality or their anti-whatever, their whatever phobias, their homophobia, you know, their anti-black woman, their all kinds of shit, uh, you know, about me. It's not so much so much about my sexuality as far as much as it is about my relationship to their response to my and, and then my response to it all. If you know what I'm saying? It's like this vicious, yeah. yeah. You know, and so, and then you have the fact that. I never, I didn't really want to ever be a musician like that. <laughs> so there's that catch. <laughs> yeah, two things, but had you know, had things been different, possibly, you know. If also, I think you know. Well, I'm not gonna go down that road, but yeah, you know, had things been different, and I've grown up, like I said, just ten years later, I might not have. I might have been able to fully embrace being a teacher and fully embrace being a badass musician too. You mm-hmm. know, found a way to live both of those things, you know, in har- harmoniously. You know, and mm-hmm. live live out both of that because I I you know I'm a, I'm I'm a good musician. You know, one time I could play the shit out the trombone and you know all of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I was like I spent hours and hours and hours practicing and studying and. You know, so there was something about it that was right for me, you know, that was part of who I was. But yeah, that 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 sexuality piece for me has been um, a journey, a struggle for sure. Yeah. Do you feel that where you are now, like, you know, you had even mentioned earlier where the way things are now is, you know, it's a lot more open We're we're we've opened ourselves up to a place of um, identifying that there's more than just the two genders that exist and all of these other things that are coming to the forefront, and especially in terms of the LGBTQI community. Um, do you feel like if you were to that you have the freedom, I guess, to be, to explore those things more now and to sort of um, revisit that place where you didn't necessarily have the the space to do that before. Do you feel like you can do that now? Oh, yeah. I mean, very much so. And I think some of that just has to be with my age, you know, Mm -hmm. like, whatever. I just, you know, I was like, my damn (laughs) You know, and I'm gonna live it like I want. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting that you say that because I'm like, I was saying to my wife, you know, um, you know, and she likes, you know, she likes, you know, anyway, I'm not gonna get into that. But um, I, I, was, I was like, put on a suit one night, we're gonna go out, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and I, and I feel like I can just do that now. It, I can't really, I don't feel like I'm, I'm I, it's not something I would do in Kansas City. Or, mm. I don't know, I might. I really might because I'm in a place where, shit, you know, I'm 63 years old. This is my life. And mm. I need to even be bothered with that anymore. That If somebody else has a problem, has an issue, it, 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 that's, their, that's for them to deal with. That's, they're mm. the ones with the issue, not me, you know. So, yeah, I feel, I feel freer to show up however I want. Sometimes I do feel like, you know, I feel sexy in a certain kind of way that I want to like put on a dress and, you know, you know, 
lift these big old things I'm carrying because I got some cleavage and all of that. I feel all of that. Yeah. You know, other times yeah. I'm a straight up dude. You know, and I and I and I and I and I feel into that as well. And I never know when that's going to show up because mm-hmm. it's just always there. And I guess that is what queer is. I don't know, but it's just like one day I might feel like oh, I want to put on a dress, and I want. I think I'll just play it. And another day, you know, I I'm a, I'm a dude. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. and and that just is like I guess that's what they call fluid. You know, I'm just you know. <laughs> Flowing with it and feel free to be able at this point in my life to to show up however you know spirit um wills me or calls me to do in in a in a day or in mm-hmm. a, you know I might put on something in the morning and go home and later on that evening I'm feeling this way you know and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, can you tell me what does love look like to you love love in in the truest sense of you know even outside of relationship even outside of uh you know just love in general like what does that look like to you in the world oh wow you know really it's embracing life however it shows up and allowing life to to be however it shows up you know, it's like not getting in the way of the way something, um, um, the way that an energy, mm, the way that an energy wants to be, you know, um, not confining the energy of life, the mm-hmm. flow of life. And that is like, in a in a, in a person, in a child, you know, there's there's ways that I felt like my mother didn't love who I was. She loved the fact that she had this cute little girl that she always wanted. So she loved that and she loved some image of what she thought I should be or whatever it could be. But she didn't love me. She did finally, eventually, she told my brothers they needed to they were missing out. She, I remember this. She said, I, yeah, I told them they're, they're missing out on a very beautiful person. Mm-hmm. But she finally, eventually saw me, but what that took in the years, we lost so much time mm-hmm. because she couldn't find a way to just love the energy that, that, that came through her body in, in this vessel. Right. So I feel like that's what love is, is allowing, you know, the, the, the natural energy to flow in whatever ecosystem within which it is, um, you know, propagated or it grows or it springs from, or it's spawned, you know what I mean? So, and when it comes, so then that means like when you're in a relationship with, with someone, it's allowing them to be and go and grow and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, if I, if I, I really get that, you know, just with, you know, if it means I have to go away and be gone for six weeks because this is something I need to do, you know, I, if you, you I can't like say, if you love me, you'll, because that's putting a whole guilt trip. You right. know, or like, you know, love me. <laughs> <laughs> love me and, 
and 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 loving me means allowing me to flow mm-hmm. with with and and me loving you allows even if I don't whatever my own stuff about it is if I can see that this is what you need and you want then I I have to allow that. I have to allow that to be. When I'm teaching children, I can't put them in a box of that a curriculum says this is where they're supposed to be right now. Mm-hmm. Look at them if I'm really loving them. It's like this dude showed up, this white dude showed up at OPC once a few years ago when we were downtown. He was like, oh, I could come and volunteer and I could bring my friends and all that. And I was, first of all, saw all these white people showing like, well, first of all, that ain't going to happen. But anyway, I asked him, I tell you what? That sounds great. I love volunteerism. Just one question. Do you love black children? Mm-hmm. His face cracked. <laughs> he was not expecting that question. So yeah, yeah. That's love. it's like allowing, you know, that stuff to, to, to allowing energy to be as it, as it, as it wants to be, you know, as mm-hmm. it's not trying to confine the energy of life. Because mm-hmm. you, it'll just always come back and slap you in the face in or anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. one way or one, one way or another. And so I say, with that, mm-hmm. with that, tell me what is self love to you? What is what is your self? What is your example of? Or you can just offer an example of self love. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna offer an example of self love. I'm writing this dissertation right now, and. Um, in order for me to do this, I had to let go of some things and I had to allow some other stuff to happen. And um, I did that. And because this is something that I want to do, that I must do. And I, I have that meant I needed to leave OPC. I needed to hire somebody to run and direct it. And I needed to like let go. Mm-hmm. And not try to like control it from 2,000 miles away. I need to, <laughs> but I love self love is also, listen, this is, this is something that came through me through the creator, from the creator for black people. This is something I believe must, OPC needs to be what there. And so I love that. And so because I love that, I'm gonna make the sacrifice of putting off finishing my dissertation until I know that there's someone who's there who can care for this in a way that it can still continue to grow and be, and I can go on about my business. So, you Mm -hmm. know, it was like this intersecting kind of love thing. And then while I'm here, right before, right before you, uh, before we, (laughs) before I was here, I was in the bathroom. I created a spa for myself. Uh, Okay. Okay. (laughs) You know what? I'm just going to tell her I'm going to be 10 minutes late because I just need to finish this process. Yeah. I rushed through it. You know, I was in there. I had my meditation <laughs> candle. You know, yeah. I even put the uh, steamer. I got a little steamer. So I created a, I created a steam bath in the mm-hmm. steam room, in the bathroom. And I was just, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, so I'm just doing those kinds of things. Just really, you know, Caring, caring for this this vessel, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be here for a while. I'm in good shape. I'm healthy, and I got a lot to do. And so I have to really learn how to love myself, and and say yes when it might be just so against everything else. 
But mm-hmm. if yes feels right, then I have to follow yes. Right. You know? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a delicate balance. Sometimes I have to put yes off because the, you know it's it's yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a I, I I had this, there was a woman in our community a few years back and she always used to say, well, you know, life is a course in self-improvement. And she, <laughs> we were like 30 and she was 60. She was my age. Because, you know, one thing I know if I was a lesbian, life is a course in self-improvement. You just got to, you know, stay focused and, you know, there's always going to be something to learn and change and there's always going to be growth but i wanted to i wanted to address one of these things that you have here about being out in um to my peers in the industry uh-huh. you know I've, I've lived mostly in the jazz world right that is the most homophobic place <laughs> yeah because it is so full of men and a lot of them dudes are just as gay as the next but you know it is just like oh my god and that and so this when i when i think about that it's like the homophobia and the black men with these white girlfriends now i'm not against that but it just was like because i had my share of white lovers trust and believe i didn't have more white girlfriends than black girlfriends I have more white boyfriends than, you know, so it's not that, but there's just this thing that <laughs> the, the homophobia in that. And so as far as just, that's a place where I used to feel like when you talk about being in the band mm-hmm. and being a member of the band and, you know, and, you know, and you're a singer. So that's, kind of like an accepted space for a woman in a band Mm -hmm. or a female or whatever. But being a trombone player in the band, especially when you're in a big band Mm -hmm. and doing the gigs and the back, you go backstage and ain't number of men back there. And just, just this whole kind of like cognitive dissonance that happens for me and for them when I show up. Or like being on the road and I'm the only one who has their own room because I'm a woman. I'm a woman in the band, you know, yeah. like, or not knowing what to say to me. Like, okay, everybody. I remember this one day, you know, they were saying, okay, the dress is such and so and such and so. And then he looked at me and says, well, and you just need to look cute. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like all of that kind of stuff. And so I just got myself a tuxedo you know, like them, you know, I'm like, oh, I need to talk. We're doing tuxes. Okay. Got you. Right. But I made sure that it was a female tux, you know, just mm-hmm. all the things that I had to think about. Right. And I also had to, I also could feel my own homophobia again in there. I, I call it homophobia, but I don't even know if that's what it is. It's something is, it's more like an anti internalized something else. Because I wouldn't call it homophobia because I never really felt like a homosexual, mm-hmm. you know, because I, 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 I'm laying in bed with men and women and enjoyed it just the same. So some people call that bisexual and I don't conform to that either. That's still a binary kind of thing. 
Yeah. You know, like I'm still figuring it out. But yeah, being out in the jazz world is I still deal with that stuff because also there's ways that jazz musicians will just be just straight up out with and say some fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. Just like I was in Berlin once and I was sitting in with, uh, what's this dude's name? Wrote that dude, Alligator. He was one of Charlie Parker's peers, uh, contemporaries. I can't think of his name right now. But we were backstage and he was like, yeah, you sound good. And, you know, he let us sit in with him. And 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 he's like, I never, I never really, I, you're the first, you know, black woman trombone player I've, I've, I've ever seen. Hmm. And I'm like, how could that be? If I tell you who he is, you'll know who I'm talking about. I can't think of his name right now. I said, well, wait a minute. No, there's Melba Liston. What are you talking about? You know her. He was like, oh, well, she wasn't no woman. <laughs> he was referring to her sexuality. Yeah. You know, oh, well, she wasn't no woman. Yeah. He was like, I just, I was like, and I said to him, well, you shouldn't have said that. Thanks for letting me in. Yeah. And I and I left and it was just well I got stories, child. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to schedule a point where we can sit down and talk about it more. Uh so I do one last question. Um if you were to offer advice to uh, a young queer woman of color, um what would you what would you offer them? Just anything about anything about life, about music, about just being black, about being like, just what would you offer them? I would, I would, I would, I would say, you know, be this whole thing around just being clear about who you are and learning to love that regardless Mm -hmm. of any, if anybody else loves it or not to learn who you are and to love that with every inch of your being, every breath, every molecule, learn self-love beyond yourself. I mean, just beyond, just just learn to love yourself. Be willing to go through the fire. Be willing to break down all the way because that, and go there. Mm-hmm. Don't stop the fall. You know, just, just, you know, just find, make sure you just have some, you know, some resources where you can, you know, fall, not like break your back and be out, but allow that to go and, 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 and just learn to love yourself Hmm. and and trust in, trust in like, it's the thing that I've, I've come to know. It's like, as I reflect on that, that there's a, there's an intuition that I've had all my life. And the times when I have not paid attention to those intuitive moments are the times that have caused me the most distress in my life. Mm. Whereas had I just paid attention and and it just comes. It's just like a moment. It's like, it's a feeling that is like, to me, that's the breath of spirit saying, but then you're like, no, because I know better. Ego and all of that, whatever, the will, I don't know what you call it, but it, 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 it causes us to turn away from ourselves. And mm-hmm. so to trust in those little, those what may seem like just little inkling, this little passing, fleeting thoughts are sometimes like where the deepest truth is. Mm-hmm. Spend time with that fleeting thought. 
just go, wait a minute, let me just go over here for a second. What was that? And the minute we go into it, it's like, ah. Oh. So that's what I do now. I just kind of like step back and try my best to pay attention and 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 honor my 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 intuition because that is my God self. Mm-hmm. Ashe. I do hope that you enjoyed this interview with Angela. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she has coming up next. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed. One love.